Good morning. Good morning. All right. <laughs> Welcome to First EC. Glad to have you all here worshiping with us. Welcome to those that are on Zoom. We're glad you're worshiping with us as well. Um, I'm going to have to have a talk with Ginny. I didn't see she slipped all that snow in. Um, that's, that's all the snow I want to see for a while. But no, it's, it's very pretty. It goes along with, goes along with the way we've decorated. Um, I hope that you've had a chance to take a look at your bulletin, see the slides that have been coming up. I'm not going to go through all of these. I do encourage you to grab a bulletin. If you didn't, grab one on your way out. There is a lot of good information in here. The only one that I'm going to highlight is the fact uh, that the, the congregational meeting will be on December 11th. I don't want us to forget about that. Everything else in here is important as well, but I especially want to make sure that we have as many people here on December 11th as we can. And Sharon. Okay, <laughs> last day for poinsettias. If you if you still need a, a little time or something, if you haven't ordered, got them ordered, see Sharon, and she'll work something out with you. Okay, the order has to go in tomorrow, so make sure you do talk to her right after church today. So then I see that it's also the last day for the cards for the shut-ins as well. So those deadlines are important. Thank you for bringing those up. Okay, anything else that we need to know before we get started? Anything else regarding our, our calendar or anything for the family? <laughs> okay, well then let's, let's pray and, and get ready for, for our worship this morning. Well, good morning, Heavenly Father. Thank you for giving us this day and this morning and this opportunity to come and to... Uh, to just bow before you, to come and worship to you. We do lift up praise to you this morning. We, we thank you, and we don't thank you enough through the week. So this opportunity this morning is a good opportunity for us to just stop and to just put the busyness of the week behind us. It's an opportunity to rest in your peace, rest in your grace and rest in your awesomeness. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that everything that we sing, say, and do might be to your honor and to your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the call to worship this morning, I'm reading from Psalm 108, the first five verses. And it says, My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And so this morning we're going to exalt God and praise God. I encourage you to stand as we um, are led in some songs of praise this morning. We are still in Thanksgiving season, and we don't want to. We never stop giving thanks. We should keep on giving thanks. We can just do it on Thanksgiving Day. So we're going to sing Give Thanks today, and you'll hear what we're thanking Him for.
So as Judy mentioned, we gave a nod to Thanksgiving because this is the Sunday that's so close to Thanksgiving, but um, now we begin the season of Advent, and as you said, that doesn't mean the beginning of Advent doesn't mean thanks, thanks ending. Um, we can continue to, to give thanks, but since we are now moving into, into Advent, that also means that we will... Um, use our, our tradition of the Advent candle, the lighting of the Advent wreath and Advent candle. So I'll invite Terry and Tina to come up. They're going to help with the process to this morning. And we have a mic here. <laughs> Today is the first Sunday in the season of Advent. Advent means coming. And in this season, we prepare for the coming of Christ. One of the ways we can celebrate Advent is making an Advent wreath and lighting its candles to remind us of the gifts Christ brings to the world. The Advent wreath has a lot of different symbolism to it. The wreath is in the shape of a circle. It doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an ending. And that reminds us that there's no beginning and no ending to God himself. But it also means there's no ending to his love and his care for us. And the evergreen branches are a sign of everlasting new life. The candles tell us of the light which came into the world with Jesus Christ. And the traditional colors of the Advent candles, the three violet and one rose, they're penitential colors. That means they're, they're reminding us that we need God's help to be the kind of people that we're meant to be. And the white candle in the center there, which will light on Christmas Eve, that signifies the coming of Christ. Today, we light the first candle, the candle of hope. Squeeze and click.
There you go. All right. See, nothing is impossible with God. (laughs) The people of Israel heard God's promises through the prophets. The prophet Isaiah spoke words of hope to Israel. He spoke of the coming of God's realm of peace when all nations will walk in God's light. And we too hope and pray for the world of peace and harmony. Hope is like a shining light in a dark place. With the lighting of this candle, we celebrate the hope of Israel and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We continue to hope in God's promise that Christ will come again to fill our lives and the life of the world with love and joy and peace. Thank you, God, for the light of hope. As we prepare for Christ's coming, help us to share our hope with others. Amen. Thank you for your help. As I make my way up to the podium for prayer time, why don't you just take a minute to greet someone that's near you and uh, welcome them this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for your help. Well, we <laughs> is that right? <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, let's take time now to, to lift up our praises and our prayer requests. I want to make sure, um, and I'll, I'll do this often, to, to make sure that you know that you have as close a connection to God as I do. So when you lift up your prayer request this morning, know that you're lifting it straight to God. Okay, um, we're gonna when you when you mention it, and you can talk to him the same way you talk to me, the same way you present it. So just go ahead and present it as normal, but know that that he's hearing it. He's hearing it when you say it. It doesn't take me to say it. So, do we have any praises or and or prayer requests this morning? I have a prayer and a blessing, actually. A family member of ours, unfortunately, their house burned by arson. Uh, fortunately, they were all, all came out okay. So it's a blessing and a prayer that they've had a lot of family help and friends. So they, they seem to be in a good place right now. Thank you. Okay. And then back here. Just have a praise. Just want to thank everyone for praying for me for my healing because it's working. So keep <laughs> praying. I feel so much better. Thank you. Okay, wonderful. And I have a praise and a prayer request. Praise is for all the wonderful people that came out yesterday to decorate. What a group of hard workers, and we really appreciate it. It looks beautiful. And also prayers for my sister, Deanne. Um, I have a couple. First, Jeff sent a message this morning um, to pray for his daughter, Cassidy. Uh, She wasn't feeling well. Um, secondly, it's, this is a praise and a prayer request. Dave took the boys on Wednesday to go visit his dad in the hospital. Um, it was a very nice visit for all of them, um, but continue to pray for Dave's dad because he is in the hospital. Roy Hauser will be 90 this week. <laughs> 
and he's not here today, no. but I just thought it would be nice to remember him. Thank you. I have a prayer request for Emma, Cindy's daughter. She's been sick since the Friday before Thanksgiving. They have spent the last two nights at the emergency room because she was dehydrated. They only got home after 12 hours yesterday at the emergency room and 4.15 this morning, so I haven't talked to Cindy to see what her conclusion they came up with yet with her. Up top. Yeah. From Zoom, um, Jim would like to share that he's thankful that he got to spend Thanksgiving with his sister and also that his new job is relatively stress-free. Wonderful, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you whistle at me? <laughs> it's okay. uh, Ron's having uh, hernia surgery on Wednesday, so I like prayer for him. Okay. Any others? And you can whistle if you want. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, let's go to, go to the Lord in prayer then. Well, Father, we're coming to you again in a, in a formal manner like this. Um, first of all, to thank you for the day. Thank you for giving us a new day. It's a gift each day, and we're thankful for it. We thank you for all the, the hard workers that we have here in the congregation. We thank you for those who have taken taken on the responsibility of kind of leading the efforts. Um, and sometimes I know, I, I was kidding yesterday, that it, it, can, it can feel like herding cats, but it all gets done in the end, and it's all to your, to your glory. And Father, we have heard about some, some real concerns, things that are on people's hearts this morning. We have, we have people who are sick. We ask that you would look over them, heal them, and provide for them and, and their family, and also those who have suffered tragedies. We pray that family and friends and people that they know can just rally around them as it sounds like it is already happening, but may the support continue, even, uh, even linger, we might say, beyond what the, the immediate need. We pray for your hand to lead the doctors for any surgeries that are coming up, any kind of procedures, even tests. We know that we have, we have many people who are going through situations that require x-rays, ultrasounds, um, surgeries, and so forth. And so, Father, we do pray for your, your guidance there. We pray for um, successful surgeries and for speedy recoveries. We thank you for the opportunity for families to get together, whether they're getting together around the table for a meal or getting together in a hospital room. Father, we pray that family will continue to support each other in all those different ways, and we thank you for giving us family. Father, we also thank you for giving us those things we need through the week. We thank you for income. We thank you for food, for clothing, for shelter. And so, Father, this offering that we've taken today, we give back to you as just a portion, just a way of saying thank you and especially a way of, of worshiping you. And we pray, Lord, that you would take that offering and that you would bless it and that you would use it to further your kingdom and to further your church. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join me in singing... Hymn number 87.
You may be seated. So I don't know if you've ever noticed, but every Easter, you can count on at least one channel showing the movie called The Greatest Story Ever Told, right? You can always find that one. Well, today, as we enter the Advent season, we're going to talk about what I'm calling the most unusual story ever told. But first, I want to tell you the most familiar story ever told, especially if you're a parent. This will be very familiar to you. A little girl wakes up, and she, as soon as she wakes up, she remembers it's Christmas morning. So she goes running down the steps, runs right down to the Christmas tree. And sitting there under the Christmas tree is a great big box, all wrapped up with a pretty bow, and the box is bigger than she is. So she rips off the paper, she opens the box, and finds a giant doll with long, wavy hair and a pretty pink dress and pretty white shoes. And it even comes with a, with a brush so that she can, she can brush the, the doll's wavy hair. And the doll's life-size, so it's... Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. I will not move. I will just stand. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll try for a while. So this girl, she's got the doll. She's, she's ripped it out of the package, and she's starting to, to, um, to use the brush on some of the, on some of the wavy hair. And she, the, the girl gives this, uh, this big, beautiful doll a great big hug, and she tells her parents, I love her. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so her parents smile, of course, and they kind of click their, their um, mugs together, they, they head out to the kitchen to top off their coffee, give each other a high five, and they're sort of basking in their glow for a couple of minutes. And they go back into the, into the living room, and, and their daughter, is, she's having so much fun. But they look over, and they see the doll laying face down in the carpet. She's having a ball, but she's playing with the big box, Right? <laughs> And you know what? I think we tend to do the same thing as Christians at Christmas time, don't we? We forget about the baby, but we have a great time with the packaging. So on this first Sunday of Advent, I want to make sure we're focused on the baby as we take a look at what I'm calling the most unusual story ever told. We're going to be reading from Luke in chapter 1, and I'm starting in verse 26, reading the first two verses to begin with here. We're told that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, so he start, Luke starts off by setting the stage with a whole lot of names there. There were seven names, eight if you count the name of God. But besides God, there were seven other names in there. And so let's take a look at, at some of those names to begin with. It says God sent the angel Gabriel. And that's the same angel who just appeared six months earlier to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who it mentions here, and told them that Elizabeth was going to have a baby. And Zechariah was a priest, Elizabeth was his wife, and back in verse 7 it tells us, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So they weren't able to have children anyway, but they were also very old and well beyond the childbearing years. Zechariah was a priest, and Elizabeth was his wife, but still, that didn't mean that their life was any more blessed than anyone else's. But nothing is impossible for God, right? The angel Gabriel tells them that Elizabeth is going to be pregnant, and so Elizabeth gets pregnant. And this verse also tells us that God sent Gabriel to Nazareth in Galilee. 
Galilee is a region up north in Judea, and it's a very rural region. Nothing special about that place yet. And there's nothing impressive about the town of Nazareth in that area. In fact, in the Gospel of John, we hear a guy named Nathaniel say, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? So it's not a well-respected place in the middle of a no, big nowhere kind of, kind of um, region. So God sent Gabriel to this middle-of-nowhere town called Nazareth, the last place that anybody would have expected the Messiah to be from. And then we move on to Joseph. And it says he was a descendant of David. The fact that David is descended, excuse me, the fact that Joseph is descended from David is a really big deal. And that's going to come up a lot more as Luke describes the story of Jesus. But the quick version is this. God has promised that redemption for the people of Israel, and really the redemption for everybody, was going to come through the line of David. David's the king of the Jews from about a thousand years earlier. And David ruled over Israel in their golden age. Everybody wants to get back to just how wonderful it was when David was in charge. You can probably get a little bit of a sense of that. You probably, in your minds, can, can say, boy, I wish, you know, or, or just think about the days when Pastor so-and-so was here, and we had 250 people, and we had all these programs, and, and there were these different classes, and, you know, that was like the golden age, if you will. And so kind of that same idea, but from a national level. People are thinking about how wonderful it was back in the day when David was in charge. And so the final name to come up then is Mary. And everybody's heard of this lady. She's the most important female religious figure in all of history. And we're going to see as we go through this passage that, you know what, she earned it. She's a remarkable young lady who's about to be confronted with a very big set of expectations and a really important decision to make. And we read in verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So obviously those were really nice things to say, right? Highly favored by God. That, that's wonderful. But common sense would tell anybody who's paying attention that something's up. She might be thinking, even if I'm highly favored, and this turns out to be a good message, the fact that God went to all the trouble to send an angel with this message means that my life is about to change somehow pretty dramatically. And so as a result, verse 29, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You see, Mary would have grown up hearing all the stories that we call the Old Testament so, she would have known, for instance, that when God talked to Noah, something pretty big happened after that. She would have known that when God talked to Abraham, something pretty big happened. When he talked to Moses, something pretty big happened. So, she would have known that since God is sending a messenger to her, something pretty big is about to happen. So, she kind of has the right to be apprehensive and, as it says, greatly troubled Verse 30 and 31 say, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, I know we see statues of Mary, and she looks like she might be 20, 25 years old, something like that. Don't forget that Mary was about, probably about 14, 15. She's a, she's a very young young girl. So think about this message that just came to her, that part of the message. If I'm a young girl, say about 14 or 15, those two verses just don't line up too well for me. You have found favor, and yet you're going to get pregnant real soon. Those two just don't kind of add up right away. And in fact, this message is kind of scary, because she wasn't married to Joseph yet. She's in what they called a Jewish betrothal. It's a rather complicated system. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. That means they were expected to be faithful. There was a commitment there. 
They were faithful to each other. They were starting to build a household together, but they weren't actually married yet, so they weren't together physically yet. It was a long, drawn-out process, so the commitment was there, but they're not fully man and wife yet, as we acknowledge during the marriage ceremony. And I'm sure Mary was no dummy. She knows that if she's pregnant, while she's just in the betrothal stage with Joseph, that's a disaster for her future. It's highly likely that Joseph won't want to do, have anything to do with her anymore. And it's just as likely that her family and the community won't want to have anything to do with her anymore. So she had, has a right to be terrified. But Gabriel goes on. He says in verses 32 and 33, he says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Whoa. That was a lot for Mary to take in. There's a ton of promises in there. First of all, you're going to have a son. Okay, that's incredible enough considering the situation. But he's also going to be great. It doesn't say he's going to be good or special or in advanced classes or he's going to be real likable. He's going to be great. And then it says, and this is where it gets good, he's going to be, the, be called the Son of the Most High. And that's our first hint of Jesus' deity. And then the last thing it says is, he's going to sit on the throne of David. And that would have a lot of meaning for a Jewish person of that day. Look at all the intricate language in the Old Testament Look at David and what he symbolizes. Look at all the prophetic stuff in the big middle chunk of of your Bible. And when you do that, you realize who Gabriel's talking about here. This is the Messiah, isn't it? This is the one we've all been looking for. The one the prophets said is going to come and redeem everything and, and, and make it all better. That's who we're talking about, isn't it? And Mary would be figuring all this out by this point as well. And this would be an acceptable time. I don't think it's always acceptable to say this, but it would be an acceptable time to say, oh my God, because it is. And Gabriel says that her son will rule over the house of Jacob and that his kingdom will never end. Are you kidding me? Wow. So what we have here in about this much text is an explanation of who Jesus is, what he's here to do, and the implications for the future. What's being said here is that the solution to the human problem is about nine months away. And by human problem, I mean the problem that was caused by the fall, humanity's disobedience to God. All the results of a broken world, death, struggles, temptations, and of course, sin. All the things that we can't fix by ourselves, we can't fix about ourselves. God's going to redeem that, and he's going to redeem it permanently. And Mary's son is the one who's going to do all of this redeeming. Mary and any Jewish audience would recognize that this was the Messiah that they were talking about. And so in verse 34 Mary follows up with a completely reasonable question. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? If I'm Mary, a young kid, not married, a virgin, that would be the most obvious thing that I would want to know. And I don't really think there's any doubt in her question. I think it's more of a case of that she's on board, but she's basically saying, okay, what you're telling me is great, but How exactly is this going to play out? And in verses 35 through 37, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So she gets an answer, and it's, it tells her, but it's, it's just as vague as it is specific. You know, it's, 
uh, well, you're, you're going to become pregnant, and that's kind of all you really need to know. It's, it's going to be the miraculous work of God, and just in case you don't believe that kind of thing can happen, well, God's already miraculously set up a pregnancy in the life of your relative, Elizabeth. And in his final remark where he says, no, no word from God will ever fail, he's basically saying what the, what the phrase that we know, no, nothing is impossible with God. If God says it, it's going to happen. If God ordains that a thing needs to happen, well, he's going to make sure that it happens. God is unlimited with his resources, and he can make anything happen. And the payoff to the whole thing happens in verse 38. But before I read it, I want you to remember what happened in Zechariah's case. Remember, he was skeptical. He wanted some proof. He, he kind of asked how this was going to happen. How can it happen? And ultimately, the sign that he got was that he couldn't speak. And there's so many, so many wives that wish that, that... No, no, we don't want to go there. He wasn't going to be able to say a word until the baby was born. So this doesn't look so good for Mary, right? I mean, she does, she's not a priest like Zechariah was. She doesn't know as much about God as Zechariah did. She doesn't know nearly as much about the scriptures as Zechariah did. And, and she hasn't practiced being a follower of God nearly like Zechariah did. And remember, she's just like a 14-year-old girl who lives in the middle of nowhere. She'll probably mess this up. She'll probably say a bunch of things that don't make any sense, Right? She'll probably end up being muted as well as, as Zechariah was, or if she's lucky. Well, here's what she says in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. What she said was perfect. A lot of people get really excited about Mary, and with respect to my Catholic friends, I think some people get a little too excited about Mary. Mary is not deity, and she doesn't occupy some kind of special place that provides a unique degree of access to Jesus. Mary was just a girl. But I think Mary's about the coolest girl that ever lived because of what is right there in verse 38. And it's not because she got to be the mother of Jesus, which of course by itself is pretty incredible. It's the fact that she was so eager to just respond with total faithfulness. She's saying, God, if this is what you want to do, I know it's going to cost me. I know it's going to be hard on me. I don't know what it means for everything that I hold dear right now. But if this is what you want, I'm in. And that's, that's all she's saying. She's saying, let's do this, bring it on, whatever, let's roll, whatever, the, you know, whatever phrase you might think of, just, okay, let's do it. I wonder if any of us could have done that. Think about it for a minute. Even though we've thought God a lot, we read about God a lot, we talk about God a lot, I wonder if we would have got it right. I wonder if we would have wanted to have a longer kind of conversation, a little give and take here and there. But she didn't push back at all. She just humbly says, all right, I trust you, God. May your word to me be fulfilled. The most unusual story ever told. The unusual story of Jesus' birth not only reveals the nature of God's plan, it also reveals the character of God's heart. God loves people who are humble in spirit. Even his son, as the, the king of Israel, the, the promised one of all time, he's born to a humble country maiden. We typically expect great things from God, but we would expect people in our society. God shows his greatness by working with anyone who's willing to be used by him. Spiritual greatness isn't a matter of social class or how much money you can throw around or how many degrees you've accumulated. Spiritual greatness is a function of the heart. God's approach isn't like the world. He doesn't really care about the credentials that the world expects and the world. Credentials don't necessarily count a whole lot with him. He's much more interested in willingness and obedience. God can do great things through anyone who puts the journey with him into his hands, into his care. 
And that means when God calls, we should simply just reply, let's do this. Mary shows us the the proper response of anyone who has been called by God, who has no credentials and a responsive heart. She is the Lord's servant, and so are we if we know him. And so God's servants have the right attitude and perspective to accomplish great things for him if they say, use me as you will. If they say, I won't shy away from serving just because I don't feel qualified or I don't feel usable. Trust God for direction and enablement. God has called all believers to minister to his body. And he doesn't call us to a task that he won't prepare us to perform. With God, there's no need to have any kind of an inferiority complex about how he might use us or what we might be bringing to the table. It's important to be willing to go where God will take us. But it's more important to realize that he can help us overcome whatever limitations we bring to the effort. You've probably heard the phrase, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Moses had a temper. Moses stuttered, and he started off as a basket case. Think about it. Okay, there, there it is. Okay. <laughs> but seriously, Moses wasn't perfect. He, 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 had a, he had a stutter, he had an anger, and yet God still used him in a mighty way. There is spiritual strength in faithfulness. Luke wants us not only to see Mary as the humble mother of Jesus, but also as an example of strong faith in this most unusual story ever told. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the truth that we find in it. We thank you for sometimes the, the amazing truth, the unbelievable truth. But Father, we know that, that nothing is impossible with you. Thank you for this example, not only of, of just what incredible things you can do, but just how incredible it can be when we, when we answer with our heart. Well, I'm here for you, God. If that's what you want to do with me, then let's do it. Father, I pray that we will approach this coming week with a humble heart and a serving heart. We need your help, Lord. Give us the strength to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand as we sing our final hymn, hymn number 303.
love it so much, I hope you'll share it. Because if you notice, like in the third verse, for some have never heard. That would be the most wonderful gift you could give someone this holiday season, this Christmas season. So as you go from here today, may you go with the confidence to share this story, with the joy to want to share this story with anyone who needs to hear it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.